0: of an English student's life, isn't it? The simile. Teachers tell you, you need to improve your writing. You can't just say what something is. You've got to say, what is it like? They tell you, put in a simile. Teachers, they're awful, aren't they? English ones. We've got math and science here. That's all right. But English teachers make you, go back and put a simile in your work. But sometimes thinking of, a simile can be hard. Comparing one thing to another can be quite hard to think of, especially when you're sitting there in an exam or an assessment and you try to improve your writing. Take these real life examples from students' writings. So, this poor person wrote this lovely sentence. She had a deep, throaty, genuine laugh. Like, can you imagine them sitting there? What is a deep? genuine throaty laugh like and this person came out that sound a dog makes just before it throws up this person sitting in their exam wrote the plan was simple like thought to themselves what is simple and the only thing came to mind my brother-in-law Phil. the ballerina rose gracefully and extended one slender leg behind her. Like a dog at a fire hydrant. <laughs> so. It was an American tradition. Like, stomped. What's an American tradition? Apple pie, freedom, independence. Like fathers chasing kids around with power tools. <laughs> I think the perrin Needed looking into in that household. (laughs) His words pierced her heart. Beautiful, romantic writing. His words pierced her heart like, gale-forced wind-driven trash through the walls of a circus tent. (laughs) Quite specific, that one. And my favourite of all, the little boat gently drifted across the pond like. This poor student sitting in the exam thinking, what else would... Gently drift across the pond, and the student could come with nothing, so he said the little boat gently drifted across the pond like the way a bowling ball wouldn't. <laughs> so. The simile. You see, the writer to the Hebrews has no such struggle. His aim all along through this book has been to take. The old to show how it points forward to Jesus. But really what the writer to the Hebrews has shown us is that there is no comparison. That Jesus Christ is better, but better in a different league. You can't compare him to the old. The old pointed forward to him, but he blows it out of the water. And we've seen, seen that particularly in this mini section we've been in that we're looking back on today. We're taking our time to review today, chapter 7 to 10. And we see, we've seen it, isn't it? We had priests in the Old Testament. Their role was to act on your behalf and offer sacrifices. But Jesus, Jesus is the better priest. Those priests were sinful. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could even think about the people. They brought the sacrifices, but they had to do it continually. But Jesus, Jesus is the perfect son of God. So he brings the sacrifice once. He brings it into the very presence of God. Not for himself, because he is pure and perfect, but for us. And he only needs to do this once. And he now intercedes for you. And he reigns on high because he is the priest king. And of sacrifices, his sacrifice, well, he, his sacrifice is himself. He is the better sacrifice. The old sacrifices, goats and bulls, had to be offered continually with read, and could never really take away sin, could never make one perfect But Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross. He gave himself. His blood was the offering which he now presents as the all-sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And because of the blood, there is a new covenant. The old was good, but we couldn't keep it. But the new covenant is so much better in it we know forgiveness of sin and god's law written on our hearts and minds the indwelling spirit of god with us so as we do at the end of a series or a mini series i want us not to rush past these things i want us to take time to reflect on these wonderful truths to pray and thank God for them, and to leave space for us to reflect and maybe share what God has been saying to you at this time. Before we do that, I just want to pull together the main overriding message of these chapters that we've looked at, sharing a couple of thoughts of the verses we didn't get to last week. Because in the midst of the signposts pointing forward to the better in Jesus Christ, we have seen who God is and who we are as well. We've seen many attributes of God, his justice, his mercy, and love. But what has shone through in these chapters is the holiness of God. That God is holy. In the details of the tabernacle, in the need for priests, in the need for a sacrificial system, we see the holiness of God. And we're quick to go to the relationship of God's holiness with us, and sometimes we can fall into the trap of taking holiness as as a negative thing. But it really isn't, it's wonderful. It makes us step back in awe and wonder. This perfection and purity in God, this separateness and uniqueness that makes him like no one else. It makes God, God. He is holy. He's not like you and I. And that is why he is worthy of our worship. Exodus fifteen eleven reads, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? He's majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Psalm 96, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. And words we've thought of before. In Isaiah chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim with six wings with two. They covered his face with two. He covered his feet with two. He flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. What we have seen in Hebrews is we worship an awesome, holy God. God is holy. But Hebrews has also shown us that we are not. For what is Isaiah's response when he sees this scene in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When faced with the holiness of an awesome God, he sees who he really is. And in the book of Hebrews, we've seen that the sacrificial system was an ongoing reminder that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The tabernacle was a reminder of a holy God, a curtain, which shows that you are separate from this holy God, that you, a sinner, a covenant breaker, cannot approach this God. God. God is holy and we are sinful. And that's not good news for us. So imagine the shock of someone coming who reads just, who knows just these two facts. God is holy and we are not. And then they read these words that we've been thinking of in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places confidence boldness to come on what grounds how can these sinful people ever think of entering the presence of a holy god and that's the wonder of the gospel that's the good news therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places By the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain that is through his flesh because of jesus christ because of his great sacrifice because he has dealt with sin we can know forgiveness and peace with god in him we can come And this is what the writer to the Hebrews has been drumming over and over in these chapters we've looked at to the people. Because of Jesus Christ, you can come. And this is what the writer wants these people to know. Why? Well, because it's true and it's good. But remember the backdrop of this book. He wants them to know this because they need to cling on to this In the toughest of times look at a couple of these verses we didn't necessarily get to last week this is chapter 10 verse 32 but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, these first readers of the letter to the Hebrews had known suffering, and the general feel was worse was to come. What did this suffering look like when well, we read there in those verses? They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. I don't tend to talk about greek words much but the one translated there publicly exposed is this greek word forgive my pronunciation teatrazomi teatrazomi if i put it on screen you'd be able to see t-h-e-a-t-r-i it's where our word theater comes from this is the picture the writer of the hebrews is writing there. these christians had been made a public target for abuse. It's like being rounded up on stage with a whole audience looking at them, mocking and abusing them. Verse 34, they had their property plundered. They had been stolen from and their property had been destroyed because they held the name of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this, with worse coming, the writer encourages them with these wonderful truths to hold on. And we read, they had. In the midst of this public approach, we're told that they had endured and that they had joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering since they were looking forward to a better possession in Jesus Christ. But this affliction had also taken another form for them. Verse 33, sometimes they had had the affliction themselves and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Verse 34, they had compassion on those in prison. This church, these people, shared each other's sufferings. They were willing to be numbered with those who were facing the struggle. Don't miss the point here, this wasn't easy. It would have been dangerous to openly identify themselves with so-called troublemakers. But it was a call that they had responded to. They had done well. But there's a sense in this letter that this had been going on for a while. The writer is maybe aware that they're beginning to be worn down, beginning to struggle, and tougher times are coming. And it's here into this that the writer encourages them with these wonderful truths and says, endure. Verse 36, you, may, you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's a theme we'll take into the next few chapters when we come back to the book of Hebrews after Easter. To keep going. We'll see some pictures and language of, from the athletics world. The idea is there, you, you've done well. You've kept going, but the race, it isn't over. You're not at the finishing line yet. So keep going. If it's a wrestling match, you may be pinned down At this moment but the encouragement is not to tap out I heard an example of some of an extreme training program this week I think it was for the Navy SEALs and the Navy SEALs obviously they want the best of the best and the training is there to make them that but in this training program there is a bell in the center of the courtyard where the training is taking place And at any point, you can ring that bell and go home. But if you do, you never become a Navy SEAL. And the images are all there. This is tough, the writer says. But don't ring the bell, don't give in, don't go back. Endure. Look at the promise. Look at what Jesus has done. Keep going because Jesus is better. So what of us all these years later reading the book of Hebrews? Is it tough to keep going for us? We know that there are brothers and sisters across the world facing similar to these first readers, if not worse. Brothers and sisters across the world, there are those who are publicly being made an example of, wounded, imprisoned, and even killed because they hold the name of Jesus Christ. Those whose houses who have have been burnt down those who have lost every earthly thing because they would not deny Jesus Christ. We're going to be praying for these brothers and sisters in our prayer session after the service today. And we are not there. We thank God we are not there. But even as we look around in our own country at the moment, We are now seeing small signs. Public exposure. Ridicule and marginalization for those who hold the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe not plundering, but a real risk for some to lose income and jobs because they stick to God's way and not the world's agenda. What are we going to do? Will we be those who endure? Would we have the faith to see earthly possessions taken away? But say, I know my treasure is safe with Christ on high. One writer said this week, and this has stuck with me, the Christian stands between two worlds. Each offers him its goods as possessions two worlds each offers their goods as possessions will we cling to what God offers rather than the world and will we be numbered with the people of God will we stick our head above the pit even when it's dangerous who will we identify with Christ and his people or the world You see, none of this is easy. It's costly and it's hard. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is reminding us. It's tough. But this is no time for dropping out. Jesus Christ is better. So endure. Endure. And this is what he's doing when he's writing. He says, look at what you have in him. Look at the rich man. Now this is an illustration from the 90s, so it might go over the head of both those who are older than me or younger than me. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Sarah, you'll be alright. <laughs> so. But you know Scrooge McDuck from the program, TV program DuckTales. Perhaps you watched it with your children or caught it. There's a picture of him up there. Scrooge McDuck was rich beyond his wildest dreams. He had this giant room, which was literally a safe, with which he filled with all his money. And as you see in the picture here, daily he would go into this room. He would dive into his money do know the physics behind it. it would probably be quite dangerous but in the cartoon he would dive into his money he would swim in his money he would count his money he would delight in it he would do everything to preserve this money and to stop anyone stealing it and do everything he could to increase it that was basically the storyline for the whole program. Hebrews tells us, tells you, Christian, that you are rich. It's like to the church in Smyrna, we read, though they were earthly poor, they are told they are rich. Rich in Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Hebrews shows us. So Christian today, when the world is tough, when things are hard, go into your vault and swim in your riches in Christ Jesus. Count your blessings, name them one by one as the old hymn used to tell us. Go count your riches in him, delight in them, do everything to preserve them and increase them. In the midst of the toughest of times, see these. See that what you have in Jesus Christ is better than all the world can offer. And endure. Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, we're told. Do not throw away your confidence. What confidence is he talking about there? Well, we go full loop to where we started. Therefore, brothers, and since we have confidence to enter the holy place, do not throw away your confidence. I love the words of an older Bible version, cast not away your boldness we can come boldly because of jesus christ and his sacrifice don't cast away your boldness don't give up don't go back don't tap out don't ring the bell keep going endure because jesus christ is better